morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Super excited that you're here. Unbelievable for our new series. Uh, super excited that it is spring and that hopefully our snowfall is minimal between now and next winter. I am ready for cut grass and flowers and birds and sunshine. I do know, having been here for a couple years now, we're still going to get, you know, like a 10-foot snowfall. Uh, so I get it. I just don't like it. Uh, I'm done with it. So I'm done with uh, snow pants and snow boots and gloves and hats and scarves for my three boys. And I'm ready to just ignore them and let them just wear shorts and t-shirts. So uh, that is what I'm ready for. Hey, uh, we're unbelievably glad that you're here. We're launching this brand new series uh, called First John. It's, it's really uh, 105, 105 verses in this teeny weeny little book uh, right at the end of the Bible, uh, right before the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn to that book. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in the seat in front of you. We'd love to bless you with that. Go ahead and open that. You can also turn your phones on of, of your many, many ways uh, and use it in that way as well. And really this book, this series is going to present to us as we uh, journey through it two great distinctives to the entire world, not just for you and I, but, the, but two distinctives for the whole world, and that is love God and love others. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk through what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that work for us to really love God? What does a, a lover of God, a follower of God look like? And, and what does loving others look like? Because you and I both know it's not always easy. It's not always kind of cookie-cutter procedures for us to do. We work with people we may not love. We have neighbors we may not love. Well, we have strangers that we encounter that we may not love. And yet, as a follower of Christ, we're called to love. We also have this God, this God who seemingly is loving, who seemingly is all good, and yet sometimes life throws us unbelievable curveballs and at worst, a beanball right at our head, and we go, well, how am I supposed to love God while this is going on? So we're going to really kind of wrestle with these two distinctives throughout the book of 1 John. I want to give you an encouragement. And, and kind of an invitation, suggestion, command, however you want to receive it. I want to encourage you to be reading the book of 1 John over and over and over. Maybe you only read a paragraph one day, or maybe you read the whole thing. It's super short. Like I said, it's only 105 verses. Uh, so if, if you want to just sit down with a cup of coffee, you'll be done before you know it. And, and the other encouragement I want to give you is read it in different versions. Grab the ESV, grab the NIV, grab the message, grab the uh, New American Standard, uh, grab the New Living Translation, grab all of these translations and just rest in the Word of God. That will allow Sundays the sermon to come more alive because you're going to be much more familiar with the Word of God. And so let's do that this morning. Let's jump in. And we're going to read, starting in 1 John, the first four verses, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. 
so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The author that is writing this is John. We don't see John identify himself. Uh, historians, theologians, experts have analyzed the writings. They believe the author is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. It's written from Ephesus. You'll see a picture of where Ephesus is in the region. And it has no specific recipient. It's not really being written, much like some of the other letters, to a very particular people group or to a very specific church. This letter was writ written and sent kind of as a, a pastoral guidance letter to all of the churches throughout the region. And so it would have traveled from church to church to church throughout this area. John is the, the writer. And five times in the gospel of John, he's referred to as the one that Jesus loved. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a nice way to be referred to, right? Uh, you could be called uh, Thomas, the one who doubted. Uh, you could be called Peter, the one who denied. And then there's John, the one that he was loved. And that's kind of a nice one. Uh, Jesus and John had a very special affection for each other. A, a very intimate friendship and partnership in ministry as Jesus walked the earth. When we see them in the Gospels, this is long before this letter, when we see them in the Gospels, Jesus is perhaps right around 30 years old. So picture that. Jesus is around 30 when he gets together and builds this friendship with John. John's in his early 20s. Think back to your early 20s. Some of you are approaching that or in those years. And John remained a very close, intimate friend of Jesus throughout his entire life, all the way up to the end, and all the way until he ascended to the Father. This letter is written somewhere between roughly 85 and 95 AD, and John's an old man. Life has come. He has not yet been banished to the far off uh, Patmos. He is an old man and he's listening to what's going on around him. He's probably in his late, late, late 90s and he's listening, he's watching, he's observing. And sometimes as you get older, things frustrate you. Amen? Amen. Okay, a few of you. Uh, so John is listening. He's an old man. We're going to get back to that. And what we see clearly through these letters, they're referred to as the epistles, uh, is, is a churchy word. It's, it's these epistles that are written, these individual letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's writing initially to let the people know, I'm an eyewitness. I have not received this from anyone else. I didn't read it on the internet. Someone didn't tell me. I am literally first-hand knowledge of what I'm about to talk about. We see this in verse 2. Verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it, and we testify to it. This is a court-appointed testimony that John is about to give. I don't know if you've ever given 
testimony in a court hearing or a deposition or whatever. Uh, and you have to really think about your answers. You have to really think, am I telling the truth or is this just something that I want to say? And here he says, look, I'm about to testify and I'm testifying as an eyewitness to Jesus. I'm not making casual conversation here. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about the weather. I'm not talking about the Rockies. I am about to give first-hand knowledge of Jesus Christ, this Jesus that's being talked about through the land, and we're going to unpack that. Why is this critical? Why is it that John is making such an emphatic statement that I'm about to give an eyewitness statement of this man that's being talked about. And the reason is because throughout the entire region, several tons of false teachers that was prophesied many, many years prior, these false teachers have moved in and they are beginning to flood the believers of Christ with questions about him. They're questioning his messiahship. They're questioning if he is fully God and fully man. They're questioning if you can really find hope in him or if it's just a head knowledge to give you some direction. And their voice is getting louder and louder and louder. And followers of Jesus are beginning to listen to these false teachers and they're scratching their head and they're giving it some thought. And they're saying, there's no way that Jesus was God. This is the birth of Gnosticism. This is where it begins. There's a lot that happens right here in this passage with John. This, this belief Gnosticism was fully developed in the second century and posed an unbelievable threat to absolute truth. <clears throat> Might sound very similar to our time today. A, 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 a pushback on what is true. Can we really definitively say that something is true? And we live in that area, much like John's time. In John's time, what's going around the area is that everything is looked at with suspicion that holds a certain conviction regarding absolute truth or absolute belief or unbelievable conviction. In fact, if you were an, I'll use this catchword, if you were an extremist, for Jesus or for his life, you were questioned. You were ostracized. You were questioned because no way could something be so definitively true, similar to the world we live in. And sadly, even the modern church has fallen prey to this at different times throughout its history. We've We've decided to take on inclusivism and toleration for the sake of making sure no one's feelings are hurt. Inclusivism and toleration to make sure we're not judging anyone or anything except for a doctrine that says you can't have a doctrine. Then that's accepted. So John skips these pleasantries. This gives you a glimpse of how we're starting this letter. 
John skips his pleasantries. Normal letters will begin with, hey, I praise God every time I think of you. I love you. I think of you always. You have blessed me. He skips all those pleasantries and basically says, I don't have time for that. We're going to get to the meat. I got to defend my Lord. I got to defend that which I'm going to talk about as an eyewitness. We're going to get right down to it. You already know my pleasantries. Let's skip it. Let's get to the meat. John is saying, I've seen him and these teachers are dead wrong. So let's go to John, who by the Spirit is writing. He's making abundantly clear who Jesus is. And this is what's important, both for this week and next week. Mark is going to be preaching uh, part two of this message. John is making it abundantly clear what a follower of Christ looks like. And if you know that you really are loving God, he's going to make that very, very clear. It'll make it clear to the readers and it's going to make it clear to us. Number one, what a follower of Christ looks like is that, number one, you believe in Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you love him, you believe in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, obviously that makes perfect sense. That's why we're here. That's why we sing some of these songs. But it goes a little bit further than that. Verses 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. There's two things that I'm going to encourage you to research kind of on your own, especially if you have one of those indexes with topics, is to research the beginning and research the word of life, all pointing to Jesus Christ. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John tells us that Jesus is divine. That Jesus is fully divine. He wasn't partly divine. He wasn't divine at certain points in his life. Jesus is fully divine. And there's huge implications for this because that means that Jesus is and was fully God. Jesus, who, with, who was without creation was in, in the midst of the creation of the world. He always has been. He was never created. He's eternal. Jesus has always been with the Father. He's in the beginning. Nothing has changed. He said this of himself even in the Gospels. Crazy claims that Jesus makes. He says things like, before Abraham was, I am. Before this man who lived thousands of years prior, I was, I am. He says, the Father and I are one. He says things like, whoever has seen me has literally seen the Father. And we tend to read these things. We, a lot of us who have grown up in the church have, have kind of heard these verses. We gloss over them, but they have enormous implications of the divinity of Jesus Christ. So the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels, that we read about, that we celebrate on Easter morning, that Jesus believed he was God. And we have to wrestle with that. And here, the apostle of Jesus claims the same thing. And in a very single sentence, in the opening to his letter, he establishes the gospel message concerning the word of life. 
concerning this Lord. That is Jesus. That he is permanent and that he is unalterable. We cannot pretend that Jesus was a has-been. We cannot proclaim, as many in the church will do, where we alter him to meet our needs. We alter the things he says to fit our culture. He is permanent and he is unalterable. He continues day after day, year after year, through culture, through the ups and downs. He is unchanging and so are we. John also tells us that he was fully man. This is the crux of what these false teachers are walking around the land and they are causing Christians, followers of Christ, to question, was he really a man? We'll give you the deity. We'll give you the divine. He was a God that came to visit us. Gods were something they fully understood. What they could not understand is a God-man. And so they began to say, there's no way. There's no way he could be sinless. There's no way he could love like that. There's no way that he could perform the miracles. There's no way he could rise from the dead if he wasn't only God. There's no way that he was man. And John wants us to know very definitively from his own experience that Jesus was human. John says that he has seen him. John says that he has heard him. John says, I have touched him him. He wants us to know that Jesus is not a myth. He's not a belief in. He's not a ghost. He's not an idea. He's not a God form that looked like a man that you could just kind of touch through like the movie Ghost. He was human. He is man. He heard the Lord speak. He saw him and he touched him with his own hands. This is unbelievable doctrine because if Jesus wasn't fully man, you and I cannot relate to him. If Jesus was not fully God, then the ultimate lamb was not slain for our sins on the cross. If Jesus is not fully man, he can't relate to your pain. And you can't pursue the life that he lived because he's God. Of course he did it. So doctrine matters. Some will say doctrine doesn't matter. They will say that it matters that you just live a good life that you're kind to other people, that you do the right thing, that you, you help the old lady across the street and you help the little kid find their cat. Like, live a good life. Be good. Take care of others. I'm sure you've heard that in the circles of your own world, whether it be at, at school or the university or in the workplace. Is I just gotta be good. And the problem with that statement, along with it saying we don't believe in doctrine, is that statement is a doctrine. Are you with me? The, the, the idea that says doctrine doesn't matter, I just need to be good, that's a doctrinal statement. That's a dogma of your life. That's a worldview of how you view your existence. And John says... Look, doctrine matters. You're throwing Jesus out. You're saying he wasn't divine. You guys are saying he wasn't human. You guys are saying he wasn't the Messiah. You guys are saying he wasn't ultimately slain. All this doctrine matters. And for you kids, as you go to college, for, for you guys, as you get ready to go to college, doctrine matters. 
because it has eternal consequences for our lives. Christianity stands and falls on the very uniqueness of Jesus Christ. That he wasn't just a, a figure to believe in. That he wasn't just a prophet. That he wasn't a good teacher. That he wasn't just God or he wasn't just man. Christianity stands on this truth. Fully man. Fully God in one person. God isn't an it that we strive toward. He's personal. He's loving and he's compassion. And he came to us in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our brokenness. And nothing has changed. It's the same message. Christianity changed the world. Jesus changed the world. Christianity introduced to the world the starting in the, New, in the Old Testament, this idea of human love for another. Christianity introduced to the world in the first century human rights, equality for all people everywhere, regardless of creed, color, gender, anything, the love of God, equality, love for all. Christianity produced the very first hospitals because no one else would take care of those who were outside the city gates. And so nurses and doctors and places of healing were developed. Christianity changed the world. Jesus changed the world forever. And here in these very first two verses, and we're not going to go this slow throughout the whole book, so don't worry about that. But, to, but this week and next week, we're going to go a little slow because this sets the foundation for us to hit the gas pedal. In these first two verses, describing Jesus as fully man and fully God, this becomes literally, friends, the scandal of Christianity. You say, well, where did the church begin to fall apart? Where did the church begin to splinter? How come we can't get along? This, historically, is the beginning scandal of the church, fully man and fully God. People turn on one another. This becomes the great division, threatens the church, causes people to walk away from the church and even walk away from Jesus. This ultimate truth changes everything for the good, but it also creates the greatest division the church has ever seen. Jesus as fully man and fully God. And there's reason why this disrupts everything. I want to read a quote to you. This is from one of my favorite authors. I know I say it often, but it is true. This is uh, one of my uh, favorite authors, John Piper. This is what he says. This, he's referring to this doctrine of Jesus Christ. If you're going to believe in him, we started with this, right? Christians, lovers of God, followers of Jesus, they believe in Jesus Christ that he was fully man and fully God. And this is what John is referring to. This, this doctrine is the stumbling block of the incarnation. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of a man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man says, I, I alone am the way, the truth, 
and the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man becomes the measure of all things. In Jesus, if this doctrine is true, if Jesus, who coming, lived a life of purity, was a sacrificial lamb, was fully man and fully God, and did die for our sins and raised from the dead, that means you can't be God. It means you can't rule your life. It means you can't rely on your own wisdom, your own opinions, your own thinking. It doesn't work that way. Well, does, Brian, does that mean we're supposed to just be robots? No, not at all. But it does mean you are guided by the scriptures, the theology of God, because this one Jewish man came and lived and died. John is shouting, remember who his audience is. It's certainly to the church, but he is making it abundantly clear to these crazy false teachers that are trying to rip apart the church. He is making it abundantly clear in a loud voice and in a very loud culture, if you want to love God, if you want to follow God, if you submit to God, it begins and ends in journeys through a proper theological understanding and belief of who Jesus is, fully man and fully God. That Jesus and Jesus alone is the Christ. He and he alone was God visiting to us. That he's unique, that he's holy, and that he alone is the hope of the world. And that, friends, is a message that is not easily conveyed nor accepted to the world around us. But that is the truth. And it is unalterable and it will survive the test of time. There's the second thing. Mark is going to cover the, the last two, so we're only going to do two this morning. There's a second area of what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a lover of Christ? And that is you are compelled to some degree or another to share Jesus Christ. There is something in you that wants to say something. If you are following Jesus, there's something in you that wants to give hope. John in spite of the church split, in spite of all these false teachers and their threats and their wrath, despite countless attempts to silence those who actually heard and saw and touched Jesus, John, that's why I like John, couldn't keep his mouth shut. John refused to just sit by and let these false teachers say no one ever touched the man because he wasn't man. John says, you got to be kidding. I had countless campouts with him. We sang Jesus loves me. We ate together. We laughed together. I watched him cry. I watched him pray. I watched him get dirty. I listened to him. I watched him teach. I smelled him. He smelled. He was filthy. He was loving. I watched him hold children. Are you kidding me? He's not man. Well, he didn't do these things. Are you kidding? I watched it on a regular basis, on a day-to-day -day basis. I will not be quiet. I will not shut up. I'm going to say something to you, these false teachers. And you know what's great is this is what made the first church in the first century really special. 
is they were relentless in their faith. It would be relentless to you that if we leave here this morning and you go meet some friends and they go, you never went to church. You're like, really? How are you going to say I didn't go to church? Like, I sat in these seats. I was land blasted by Brian yelling at us. I ate bagels. I ate somewhat decent coffee and, and drank tea. And you're going to say this never happened? Are you kidding? I can prove it. I can grab all the friends that were there. Uh, you can listen to the recording. Some people have probably taken pictures like, this actually happened. And this is John. And in his mind, these aren't private experiences that he had with his Lord just to keep to himself. Just as a memory bank to sit in a rocking chair and remember the old times. Oh, those were the good old times, me and Jesus. And, and just something that he was to reflect on. These were miraculous experiences that, that Jesus has given to his apostles to give to the rest of the world. And this is John. This is the manifestation of the God-man that was meant to be shared and ignited to the rest of the world. And the mission hasn't changed. This, this relationship with Jesus to be given so that you could give it away, so you could share others, so you could tell of the good news. The mission hasn't changed. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. As, as we're turning to Acts 5 in your Bibles, Peter is before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they're not happy with him. Peter seems to always find himself in a little bit of hot water. And, but this one is really good. Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin. He's defending himself and the others who are preaching Jesus relentlessly and unapologetically. They're trying to silence him. They're trying to tell him to close his mouth. And remember who this is. This is Peter who disowned Jesus, who screwed up royally. And yes, this Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5, verses 29. This is what he says, and this is guidance for you and I. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. That verse alone will preach. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as the prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This tells us that the early church, these people who saw Jesus, who saw his struggle on the cross, these people who saw Jesus raised from the dead, these people who received the stories handed down from others, they had to share. It was too much. It was too good. Yes, there was a command. Go into all the world. Preach to, to all. Build disciples. Baptize in the, name of, in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Go and do this. There was certainly the command, but there was always something deep within that they could not be silent, that they could not be quiet, a command that's fully embraced. You know some of this. We see this all the time with with 
uh, babies being born or, or you guys, not you guys, but people getting pregnant. Some of you guys are not getting pregnant. We see it with engagements. Like you want to shout to the rooftop. Are, am I right? Sam or Marissa, would you stand there engaged? Go ahead, stand. Like we want to just draw attention to you. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Sam is learning the incredible two words. Yes, honey. Yes, dear. How about I'm sorry? So we're incredibly blessed by them. We see this all the time. Someone gets pregnant, man, you want to announce to the world. You have your baby. Everybody thinks you want to see it. So we send announcements with their picture that says, my baby's the perfect one. My, mine's the most beautiful one. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's like wine. It gets better with age, hopefully, right? You get a new job. You want to tell people. You buy a new house, you get a new car, you buy a new guitar, anybody? Amen. All right, few, two of you, amen. Your team wins a Super Bowl, you want to shout for victory, you want to celebrate, you want the world to know, even if they don't want to know. I can remember when Sandy and I, well, Sandy got pregnant, I was involved, we got pregnant with <laughs> Naomi. And I can remember finding out that Sandy was pregnant, vividly remember this, and I went out to eat with some youth group kids, and as we went to the counter, the person said, you know, what can we get you? And I said, I'm expecting. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's great, congratulations. I'm like, thank you. Just want you to know, I am having a child. Like, we want to tell someone, and as you are a follower of Jesus, there's something in you if you're a lover of God that wants to say something, you might not do it. But there's something in you. And this flies in the face of religious silence, of just keep what you believe to yourself. Do not say a word. Do not stand up for yourself in school. Do not stand up for Jesus in your workplace. Just keep it to yourself. And, and I want to say this, yes, we need to be careful. Let's start there. You need to be careful at school. You need to be careful at work. You need to be careful around friends. Absolutely. Those that say, well, I believe in Jesus, I'm throwing caution to the wind. I'm sorry if that's you, that's ignorance. Jesus thought through what he was doing. Just think about it. But John's heart here basically says if, if you don't at times feel an inner impulse to share Christ, to share what he has done for you, to share hope, to share encouragement, to share something of the story of Jesus, you might need to start thinking if you have a full realization of what Jesus has actually saved you from. Because those of us who understand what we were without Jesus or what we could be without Jesus, it's not a pretty picture. And so there is, because of that understanding, because of that realization, you will want to share something. And don't say it in an accusatory way.
and you may not do it. You may not know the answers. You may not even know where to start. You might let an opportunity pass you by. You might royally screw it up. And I can share with you countless stories of screwing it up. Of trying to share Jesus and just walking all over my words and having police officer friends drive away from me. Probably because they thought I was crazy. I can share more mishaps than I can successes. But John is saying if you're a follower of Christ, his word says very clearly that we have to proclaim, that I have to testify because of what I've seen and heard. I can't stay silent. And so I want to encourage you as we read this story, as, as we wrestle with the scriptures, I want to encourage you to do some self-reflection. Do you love Jesus Christ? Or are you just looking for this God, this higher power? The Bible makes it abundantly clear we are saved through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to this God but by me. Jesus says, I have come to give my life and to give it abundantly, to give it freely. Even though you screw it up all the time, even though I screw it up, I have come to just give you my life. And is there something in you as you go about your day, as, as you go about this world, the context of the world that you live, is there something in you as you listen to friends, as you listen to family members, as you listen to neighbors and coworkers, is there something in you that is kind of prompting you to say, man, I really, I really want to say something. That's the Holy Spirit's prompting. That's his guidance. Listen to that voice. Next week, Mark's going to lead us in, in the, the next two points of, of an experience with Jesus and a joy that is found that is not of this world. So I want to invite you to come back, but please spend some time reading the book of 1 John, and we'll continue the journey together. Let's pray. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you. Uh, you are worthy. I thank you for for this letter that gives us a, a little bit of guidance. Man, I'm, I'm really grateful for this old man that had enough <laughs> and that had to say something by your prompting, perfectly written, the words of your heart to guide us. I'm unbelievably grateful that that man stood up and shouted from the rooftops absolute ultimate truth that flew in the face of what culture proclaims. And he was unapologetic. He was not afraid. He was firm in his experience. And God, that's what we do this morning. We proclaim our experience with you the truth that is found in you, the ways that we've seen you at work, the miracles we have seen before you, 
Does that mean life is just hunky-dory and easy and, and perfect? No. But there's a blessed assurance that comes right beside you. And we're grateful that we are recipients of that. The church, broken, imperfect, mistake-riddled, but the church that you love, that you gave your life for. And so please, throughout this week, continue to teach us and to guide us according to your heart. And may we actively seek to respond to those promptings. It's in that wonderful name, that name that is above all names, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this God-man Jesus is the Christ. It's that in which we pray.